Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome to Dirt Radio. This is your host, Phil Evans, coming at you pre-recorded today where I have done so in my house, which is on the land of the Wurundjeri people in the Kulin Nation where sovereignty has never been ceded. Saying a big hello to all First Nations listeners out there and paying respect to elders past, present and acknowledging the important role that First Nations people play in the struggle for environmental and social justice. This is, of course, Dirt Radio, the Friends of the Earth show on 3CR Community Radio, where we dig in deep and find out what's happening at Friends of the Earth and in the wider grassroots activist community. Today on the show, we'll be talking about the potential of an offshore wind industry in Australia. Now, offshore wind is helping governments to deliver deep emission cuts and create thousands of jobs and drive a clean energy recovery in the United Kingdom and the European Union. But will Australia seize the offshore wind opportunity and what will it take to establish the job-rich industry here in our country? In late September, Friends of the Earth joined with the Climate Council to hold a special online forum talking about that potential industry and why it's so important. Today we'll hear from a couple of the speakers from that webinar. Penny Howard, who is a research officer with the Maritime Union of Australia, and also Luoyang Coal Power Station worker Tony Wolfe, and why he supports a fair and just transition to renewable energy in the Latrobe Valley. All that and more coming up on Dirt Radio today. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back after these community service announcements. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science, and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. 
After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains. And the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. You are listening to 3CR Dirt Radio. This is Phil Evans here. And as we said, we are talking about the offshore wind industry today and the potential that it has for workers for a fair and just transition in the Latrobe Valley in particular. And we are listening to a couple of speakers from a webinar held in September by Friends of the Earth and the Climate Council. Let's jump straight in there and hear from Loy Yang Power Station Worker. That's a coal-fired power station out in the Latrobe Valley. Uh, slated to close down probably by the end of the decade. Uh, we'll hear from Tony Wolf about what he thinks about the future of the coal industry and the potential that the renewable energy sector has for workers like him. I'm not sure whether any of you have noticed, but coal's closing down in Victoria and, and um, there's there's nothing being built to uh, replace it. We've, we've in, in recent years, uh, Mobile Power Station shut down, Hazelwood has closed, Yalorn is, um, has announced their closure. Uh, the newest coal-fired power station in Victoria was built 30 years ago and um, with a life expectancy of 35 years and there's nothing on the, on the, uh, on the ground or in the planning to replace the coal station. So it's imperative that we um, jump on board and try and attach ourselves to what's going to replace that and be part of the solution rather than um, trying to hang on to it as it's closing down. Coal will still be a part of the mix for at least 10 years, but just in a much diminishing capacity as renewables take over. So the opportunities that offshore wind presents, and in particular, Star of the South wind farm based in Gippsland. And and I should preface this by saying that I'm not a spokesman for Star of the South. And and so the views that I give are my own only. So I I don't speak on behalf of the company that's, um, that's proposing that. But a lot of people think that the Star of the South is much, much more advanced than where it is. The most common question we get asked is, well, when are you going to start building? Like, when, when's it going to um, when's it going to happen? And, and it's still in its infancy. All the studies are being done, um, the marine studies, the bird studies, the on-land studies. Yeah, there's, there's 25 technical studies being done at the moment, which um, have to be checked off on and the environmental impact statements and and all of those things. So it's 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 a long way from a, a done deal, if you like. Fantastic that the bill is finally before federal parliament to allow for offshore wind in in Australia, and that's a, that's a fantastic step forward for the industry. And hope, and not only for Star and South, for for industries right across Australia, there's there's quite a few uh, offshore wind projects that are sitting in the waiting for this for this policy to get up there because without it, nothing can happen. So offshore wind has the potential to replace um, our coal dependence, but not by itself, obviously. So without storage capacity of some sort. Um, 
offshore wind is 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 not. It's strictly speaking, it's not an attempt to uh, to get rid of coal and and replace it all with offshore wind because it'll be part of the mix, part of the energy mix, but not not entirely it. It won't be um, viable to produce power for all of Australia with offshore wind unless we have the storage facilities as well. A couple of things briefly about um, the Star of the South and the potential there is there's a highly skilled workforce in Latrobe Valley that those jobs are, are diminishing and those skills are highly transferable to an offshore wind industry. You, and, and when when you say that, yeah, you, you might think that that's a you know a bit of a broad brush statement, and, and it's not you know what what's mining got to do with offshore wind. But when you look at the uh, the disciplines within the the uh, Latrobe Valley uh, power generation sector, such as engineering and the trades like electrical and, and mechanical and and boiler making and and um, you know there's there's a multitude operations there's a multitude of those jobs which are quite easily transferable to any generation industry that's just the fuel source that's changing and um and for the better so i think um potentially there's it's been floated roughly about 760 construction jobs for star of the south within the within gippsland and possibly up to 200 ongoing long-term jobs once once the the project's up and running if it gets up to its full capacity so so those jobs may not be in the same numbers that the power industry currently employs surely some of those jobs remaining in gippsland and 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 in the valley is is a positive thing rather than Rather than us losing them to um, to the rest of the rest of the country, where people will move looking for work once once the coal industry closes down, it's um, yeah, potentially for me it's it's not a not a huge issue. Um, I'm sort of looking down towards retirement and things like that. And and the coal workforce in the valleys is largely an aging workforce, so a lot of the people there will uh, are kind of comfortable that. There's enough work there to see them out, but it's it's about the emerging employment opportunities for our kids and our grandkids and and things like that, and and the potential loss of um, of um, economic benefit for the region. And and let's not forget, we're not just talking direct jobs in in the um, the power generation. It's it's uh, you know it's 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 all of the supply chain jobs that that. That go with these opportunities, and and if we could if we could manage to get some of the um, some of the manufacturing happening in in Latrobe Valley, which is it already has the social license for for heavy industry, uh, people are accepting of that. So there, there's not the um, the opposition to uh, you know to setting up large industry and and things like that. In fact, people would welcome it. Some of you have probably been out in Bass Strait, maybe fishing or trying to cross there and be well aware of um, how windy it can get out there. The, the potential of the wind strength out there to power potentially 2,200 megawatts, I think, is the, is the end game for Star of the South. And, and um, one benefit of the wind in Bass Strait is that it's extremely strong on hot afternoons. When, when, when the largest demand for our electricity grid currently is. So, and, and that's sort of, in a way, it's in inverse to the west of Victoria, the on-land wind farms. So when they drop off, 
the wind in Bass Strait normally picks up, which so it's it's a it's a really good balancing act for Victoria to um to look at the potential of that out there. I quite often get asked, I work in a coal-fired power station and I'm advocating for renewable energy and, and stuff like that. It's a no-brainer to me, as I said before, the coal's, the coal's shutting down. And um, people often ask, well, what can we do to support support groups like the Latrobe Valley and the, and the workforce there? And I, I've got a, a three-point sort of bit of a spiel that I, I quite often give to them, and it's uh, number one is stop demonising coal communities because we've produced power like this for 100 years and, and we're part of the reason that our economy and, and uh, uh, we've been so successful to, to be able to, to progress uh, in society the way we have by producing electricity. The second point is aimed at the coal community and that's to move away from coal graciously. We need to accept the fact that it's closing down and there is opportunities that, that can take over from it. So... And, and the third point, which everybody obviously is, will be on board with is to advocate for government for, for policy. We need to know what's going to replace it. We need to know what we, how we can support the training and the transferable skills and, and things like that. You are on Dirt Radio 3CR. We're going to continue to listen to some of that webinar that was held back in September by hosted by Friends of the Earth and also the Climate Council put together by the wonderful Yes to Renewables Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. And I'll put some links in the show notes so you can not only watch the full webinar, which um, had some other great speakers as well, but also get involved with Friends of the Earth's Yes to Renewables Collective and be part of Action for Change. Um, coming up next on the show, we're going to hear from Penny Howard who is a part of the Maritime Union of Australia, the MUA, and is a research officer talking about some of the work that unions are doing in collaboration with the climate movement to drive jobs and climate action. Uh, part of the MUA's history is also wanting to be at the forefront of the movements that have shaped Australia and made Australia a better place, that have fought for the rights that we need, that are you know standing up for the rights uh, that we haven't that we haven't achieved yet, and of course, one of those critical issues that we're facing right now is how to address climate change. Of course, the question is how, with such an extraordinarily fraught political environment where the government uses every opportunity to try and uh, make the argument that climate action means a loss of jobs, and with such a large portion of our membership working in offshore oil and gas and coal export ports, uh, it's a challenge. But it's one that we've at least taken some steps to getting through. And the reason that we've been able to get through that is by taking that forward looking approach of what are the future jobs that our members can do and how can we fight to ensure that those are going to be the best possible jobs that people will want to do and that they'll be able to enjoy the best possible conditions and union agreements in the course of doing those jobs. And by taking that approach, we've been able to take some sticky political stances on things and, and have those discussions. Uh, and the membership have been very supportive of that and affirmed that position at a uh, national conference that we managed to have miraculously at the beginning of March in 2020. So in 2019, with the Star of the South project, Danny Kane, who is one of our officials working in the offshore oil and gas industry out of the West Australian branch, really started looking into this whole question of the potential for offshore wind in Australia and brought that to my attention. So all credit, all credit to him for doing 
for, for, for doing that. And our interest doing it has come out of a genuine interest in um, wanting to preserve the jobs in the future for our, our workers and members in that, in that industry. So we've had to think about what would it take to make the Star of the South project a genuine just transition. And we got together with some other unions and drafted um, a lot of claims about how do we maximize the number of jobs? How do we make those the best possible? How do we ensure the community benefits? And I think that document, things that we've got in there still stands, although the benefit we have now is there's many more proposals now all, all across the country. And we also wanted to be able to make that campaign as part of the climate movement as, as well. So we participated in a lot of the climate strikes and, and days of action because we wanted to be able to show that we could do that. We could be a union that represents workers in those industry that's fighting for the future of those people as people as well. And by taking that approach, by taking really seriously what the future jobs are a membership are going to be, that's also allowed us to be able to take political positions on issues that are much harder and more challenging because our membership understands that we are fighting for their jobs and for their future. So some of those things which probably of interest to, to the audience here are new, uh, new South Wales branches oppose the uh, nearby gas project. We've formally put in a, uh, a submission against the uh, Taylor's gas-fired recovery, basically just pointing out the hypocrisy of how he's spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing new gas basins and is basically refusing to spend anything on the development of genuinely innovative new technologies like offshore wind, in addition to wanting to fund uh, the construction of new new gas pipelines when he won't apply that same principle to, for example, long-term power contracts. And most recently, the $90 billion that, no, it's not even $90 billion, it's much more than $90 billion um, that will be spent on those on those nuclear submarines. And of course, uh, we'd much prefer for that money to be spent on things that are of, of social benefit, including building the offshore wind projects and the infrastructure that's needed to support them as well. So subsequently, the things that we've been working on within offshore wind over the past 2020, 2021, first of all, we got really seriously engaged in the integrated system plan process that's run by AEMO that plans out the future of the electricity system for Australia. And initially, this plan did not include any consideration of offshore wind, but we were able to work with the ETU and with other people, including the Climate Council. And what they've done now is they've actually declared four separate offshore wind zones, and that just came out uh, in July. And those will now be formally included in the planning process going forwards. And we'll be able to find out a bit more about how the projections for that process is going in early December. But looking at this map, you can see the significance of that because particularly in New South Wales, all the current generation capacity is right around Newcastle. And what we are looking at is all of that being shut down and moved hundreds and hundreds of kilometres away. And by keeping the potential of offshore wind alive in Newcastle as well as off the Illawarra, what we can do is we can keep some of that energy generation and keep some of those jobs in that region as well. What they also did is they split off the, um, they used to have the Gippsland REZ as an onshore and offshore one. They've now split that in half. And I think that allows them to kind of give a better reflection of what the different capacities are of the wind in that's onshore as well as uh, offshore as well. So that should assist uh, with the planning process.
The other thing that we got really involved with was a big research project. Scandalously, there'd been no general research done on the potential of offshore wind in Australia since 2009. So that's quite atrocious. None of our national science agencies, renewable energy agencies, any of those things were doing it or funding it. So the ETU, the MUA, the ACTU, and the Manufacturing Union got together, put some money together, and were able to get some funding from the Blue Economy Cooperative Research Funding Centre, which is actually funded through the uh, Federal Department of Industry, Science, Energy, and Resources. So we did manage to get some government money for that as well. And that's called the, the Blue Economy Potential for Offshore Wind in Australia project. But it gives a really good overview of what are the potential locations, what are the projects, that are currently being proposed. And there's also a chapter in there on the on the jobs potential as well. But one of the really interesting things that it found out is this whole question of what's the contribution that offshore wind can make? Why would we want to have, we've got other renewable energy sources, what can this contribute in an electricity system sense aside from all the uh, jobs and uh, employment benefits? Now, of course, we've got the, um, the legislation in Parliament. We've got it uh, depends how you count them, 10, 15 projects. It seems every few weeks there's another new project announced, lots of different developers. Uh, we've got projects in West Australia, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, uh, and possibly Queensland as well. Now, looking at the legislation, it's very conflicted, right? So on the one hand, you've got a piece of legislation that basically just says, if a private company wants to build an offshore wind farm, go ahead, let them build an offshore wind farm. It's not our business to support them. It's not our business to encourage them, uh, but we will be spending hundreds of millions of dollars on doing that for gas pipelines and opening up new gas basins. So on the one hand, that's really frustrating. On the other hand, we actually do need this legislation to be passed as quickly as possible. There's a danger that if it gets delayed too long, it can get caught up in the next election cycle and we'll end up, you know, halfway through 2022 still without any possibility um, for these projects to be able to take their first step. So what our strategy has been is basically to try and look at what are some key things that we can improve out of this bill and how can we use that Senate inquiry that's just been on to try and map out a future of what would we actually, how do we actually want this industry developed um, by a future government that might uh, have its priorities a little bit straighter. So the, the key things that we're focusing on now is one, um, they have introduced the national WHS system for offshore, um, but they've switched off all different parts of it. So it's turned into quite a a muddled, <laughs> a muddled um, system. So we want to try and keep that as consistent as possible with the onshore WHS system. And particularly a lot of the things they've switched off are places where workers have got rights, where unions have got rights as well. And that's because they've tried to back engineer the WHS legislation to match more closely to the work health and safety legislation for the offshore oil and gas industry, uh, where workers have got much fewer rights than, than workers onshore. So that's one thing. The second thing is the first step um, is a declaration of an offshore electricity area, uh, which the minister does. But there's nothing in the legislation that allows someone else to ask the minister to do that and for the minister to do that on a timeline. So basically said, listen, we should be able to have electricity planning agencies, state governments or proponents to ask the minister, can you declare an area and give him a timeline on when he has to do that? Because uh, knowing Angus Taylor, uh, we don't want to leave that process entirely in his hands and at his 
discretion. And the third thing is there's nothing in the legislation that requires an assessment of the future jobs of local manufacturing, of community benefit, of First Nations benefit when licenses are being held uh, handed out to companies. Uh, so we're saying that that needs to be added to the criteria for awarding licenses. And there is also a provision in there for companies to bid against each other for licenses, just who can pay more cash. And we just want that to be deleted entirely. We want projects to be decided on their merits. Best project uh, gets the license and companies should be competing to provide the best possible project. 3CR, here to stay. That's right, you're on 3CR Dirt Radio here. Before that, we were just listening to Penny Howard, who is a research officer with the Maritime Union of Australia, talking about offshore wind and the potential that it has to drive jobs. Jobs, jobs, jobs into the sector. And also before that was Tony Wolf talking about his experience as a coal power station worker and why he supports the move to renewable energy. And if you missed any of those conversations, you can jump onto 3cr.org.au forward slash dirt radio and catch up with a podcast where you can hear all of that again and also catch up on any of the previous shows that you might have missed. Good way to spend a bit of time as we come to an end, hopefully, of lockdown in Melbourne town. Uh, Whilst you're there, become a subscriber to 3CR as well and help support Radical Radio. You can jump on there easily and there are different price options to take your place as a supporter of Radical Radio in Melbourne Become a subscriber today if you can. Drawing to the end of another show of Dirt Radio. And we'll be back next week at the same time as well on Tuesdays at 9.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time now that we've moved again. Do stick around on 3CR because coming up next is Billabong Beats with Gavin. So to play us out today, we'll listen to what we all know is coming and what we all know what we need to do is change. This is a track by Killing Joke. Phil Evans signing out for Dirt Radio. See you next week. (laughs) 